Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the Radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered. It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional media covering this new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the radar means ahead of the curve. It's also perspectives. How does this particular story affect a community or a neighborhood? I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, grocery shoppers have a lot of convenient options these days. Food stores like Stop and Shop, Walmart, and Whole Foods offer delivery services as a time-saving hack for busy consumers. But a new Providence-based company is upping the ante, offering both convenience and direct ordering from your favorite local farmers and vendors. What's good brings the farmer's market to your front door. Later in the show, it's never too late to learn how to cook. A new cooking magazine out of Belmont, Massachusetts, aims to inspire adults over 60 to boost their health and overall lifestyle by making home-cooked meals. Chop Chop Family Publishers' new publication, Seasoned, is your grandparents' magazine. But first, joining me in the studio, Matt Totoro former chef and co-founder of What's Good, a new online marketplace that allows consumers to order directly from local producers. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm glad to have you. Also with me, Javier Amador Pina, founder of El Colombiano Coffee and vendor with What's Good. Hello, Javier. Hello. Thank you for having me, too. Glad to have you. And also, Aaron Damis, co-founder of Sprout Organic Farms and vendor with What's Good. Hello, Aaron. Hi. Happy to be here as well. Well, I'm thrilled to have all of you because it's such an innovative idea. It's, as I was reading about it, it's the first thing that came to my mind since years ago when they started delivering groceries, and I was so excited about that. So this is now really taking it to the next level. So I'm going to start with you, Matt, because it was your idea. Tell me how you came to come up with the idea for what's good. A lot of trial and error and a lot of pain and understanding. I have to go back to the point where I decided to become a chef. I uh, had served in the U.S. Navy for 10 years and had uh, really just found myself in Afghanistan, actually, in a place very far away from here, very far from home. And I think one of the major elements of being that far away was, was really thinking about home. And home really revolved around people and places and tables. And in my family, growing up, 100% Italian family that cooked all the time, that always meant food. And it just drew me in from so far away that I I wanted to come back home and do something that really meant a lot to me. And so I decided to become a professional chef around 2009. So 10 years ago, I went to culinary school. I used my MGI bill to do it. I just happened to hit the industry when farm to table was really becoming a thing. You know, it, it, it had gone from a fad to a trend to, you know, people really started to become educated. I think consumers started to understand that not all food was created equal and that 
you know, more or less, there was a lot more to know about what they're putting in their bodies. And so I actually approached the idea of what's good as really something uh, that I was trying to solve as a personal pain point as a young chef in the industry, looking at sourcing from producers that I wanted to know and food that I felt responsible enough to feed my customers, my family, my children. And I really didn't like what I was getting from distributors, to be honest. I think when we think about farm to table and chefs, not just your average person like myself, we think, you know, all the farmers. So you just call them up and they just drop off everything you need and everything's cool. So it was interesting to me that you were thinking that it's actually it's hard to have a sustainable marketplace. Explain why that is. Yeah. So I lived about three miles from the restaurant that I worked at in Jamestown, Rhode Island. And on my way into work, I would pass five farms. I didn't know any of them. And maybe here and there we would, you know, bump into a farmer. But in order for me to find out about the farmers around me, I had to go to a farmer's market. Like that was the only place or take my time to stop in. And I I think that, you know, it's really about our system. And people, I think right now in today's world are talking about a broken food system. I don't think it's broken at all. I think we we aligned our food system to function the way that we wanted it to, which was cheapest price, most convenient, and available all of the time. Big um, guys gathering it up and sending it to the consumers. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So if we wanted mm-hmm. to produce lettuce all year, right, we had to move our production out to source from, let's say, the south during the winter time for the northeast. And then it went beyond that to pushing it down to South America or over to Asia. It just got further and further away to the point that I think really, you know, in New England, we have a particularly difficult challenge because of how much farming has moved away from our community. Um, a lot of people don't know, but only about 2% of what we eat here in New England comes from New England itself. So, you know, it really is that our food supply system, the distributors here in New England and the the retailers here in New England have perpetually moved their sourcing operations further away to get the cheapest product at the largest quantity all year. And in New England, you're going to get seasonal. You're just you're not going to get that. Right. That's exactly right. Uh, That's my guest, uh, Matt Totoro. He is the founder, the co-founder, actually, of What's Good and former chef. It's a new online marketplace that allows consumers to order directly from local producers. So explain exactly how it works and why it's a better situation than you had uh, when you were a young chef and passing by farmers places, actually, not even markets along your way. Right. Yeah, I, I think we could look at. Any of the current methods that you would go online to buy food, and you mentioned, you know, grocery delivery and and retailers like Stop and Shop, Peapod, or even Amazon, they did something called Amazon Fresh a while back. The challenge is you're going to get lettuce. You're maybe you're going to get Amazon Fresh lettuce, or you're just going to get generic lettuce. The reality is lettuce is not generic at all. And a producer is growing it a particular type and they're growing a, you know, it a particular way. Could be hydroponic, could be aquaponic, could be in soil, could be in greenhouses. And, you know, what's important about it is that we've developed a system that requires middlemen. Those middlemen can exchange product sometimes as many as six or eight times, meaning a producer in California might grow that lettuce, but it might be purchased by a wholesaler and then another wholesaler and then another wholesaler and then another wholesaler before it actually gets to the retailer who's actually going to be selling it to the consumer. So by the time it's changed hands that many times, it's really lost its identity, who grew it, when it was grown, when it was harvested, all of that information and data is gone. 
our system allows for you to connect directly with the producers. So as a consumer, you might shop from 20 different producers and in a way that we've adapted our technology and designed it, you feel like you're checking out at Amazon or eBay or any of the other online platforms that you would shop, or Instacart for that matter. You have a seamless checkout, yet you know exactly who's produced it. If you bought microgreens, you'd know that Aaron produced those microgreens because you're literally seeing that this product was coming from this farm. And then our system is designed in a way that it allows for the payment for that product to go straight through to the producer. When you have that many hands changing in the model that exists now, what's left for the producer is pennies on that dollar. Okay. So we've got a system where there are middlemen because that's the way it goes. And I recall when I first did uh, grocery delivery, the, the big signs that say on any of your delivery forms, we reserve the right to substitute something if what you have checked off is not there. And, you know, I would look at that and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it would show up and it wouldn't be what I wanted, I was very unhappy. So this is a whole other situation because, Aaron, if I want your microgreens, I can get your microgreens and there will not be a substitute. <laughs> right? <laughs> that, is, that is correct. Okay. So, so first tell me how you came to connect with what's, what's Good and then tell me about your microgreens. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, actually someone from What's Good, I believe, knew uh, one of the chefs we had worked with who did a pop-up and they saw an Instagram post and, you know, very modern story and uh, reached out to me. And um, then someone came through to the farm and did a little visit, tasted some of the uh, the produce that we do and kind of chatted with me and the guys who operate the farm with me. Yeah, vetted us, liked the product, and um, we liked them a lot, explained their service. And um, actually, I was really excited both about the type of service they were offering, but also I think the, the platform and the model for bringing food to the customer this way was really, really in line with our own ethos and with what I think is the future of food, or at least one aspect of how we solve um, uh, food production problems. And Well, you want that direct connection, and um, you're not too proud to say that uh, some of those microgreens we may be getting, even in places like Whole Foods, not so great. But but you, Aaron Davis, <laughs> of your Sprout Organic Farms, you can vouch for yours being pretty great. No, absolutely. <laughs> You're right. And, you know, a lot of the, the farms that provide microgreens to, you know, your bigger retailers, you know, when they cut those microgreens, they're pretty good. And, you know, and like anything that you do on a mass scale, it's hard to keep the quality control. But by the time, uh, as Matt was saying, you know, if it passes through four or five people, even if it only goes through uh, a couple different channels. Uh, most farms cut before it's picked up. You know, they'll hold it in cold storage. Someone comes to pick it up. They take it somewhere where it's held in cold storage and then put on another truck, take it to the final retailer, and they'll hold it until you buy it, or at least until it gets shelved. Then you buy it. Then you put it into your refrigerator. So by the time you get it, you know, you're picking through, whether it's microgreens or heads of lettuce, you're picking through to find, like, the good pieces. Yeah. But you're right. When I cut and deliver um, same day, in this model, I do that exactly. So if I get your order and you want your specific cilantro. That's right. That's right. So <laughs> I will cut that the morning that it's to be delivered to you. I deliver it to the aggregation spot, and they don't hold it for any uh, extended period of time. It gets right to you. So you have, not that you'd want to hold it for yeah, no, two weeks, but yeah, you get it fresh. There's no middleman, and, and it's delivered in its best shape, and I can vouch for it. Yeah, you're right. That's my guest, Aaron Damus. He's co-founder of Sprout Organic Farms and a vendor with What's Good. And I want to emphasize there are no warehouses. So if you're listening saying, well, how does it get to me? You order from him. Or you order from Javier, who I'm going to move over to in just a second, and they make sure it gets to the what's good folks and it goes immediately to you. So there's less overhead 
and actually more in the pockets of the people who produce, which is one of the reasons, Javier, that you were very interested in what's good, because both of you have talked about that farmer's markets, which is a place that you know, most people would find you you doing artisanal kinds of products, food products, um, take a big cut. It's it's more than I had not thought about having somebody there all day manning the booth and what that means in terms of your bottom line. But anyway, I want to know, because you have the fabulous coffee, you said you were sick of drinking bad stuff, so you made the good <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Tell us about your coffee and how you connected with what's good. So... Uh... <laughs> The story of my coffee is a long story, but I'm going to tell you Please the, make it short. the short version. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I'm from Colombia, and I'm used to the, the best coffee, and uh, I couldn't find a coffee that uh, will satisfy my taste. So I went to Colombia and uh, talked to some farmers, and they are having a really tough life. So I wanted to, to work with them. I started shopping around and looking for small farmers, because those are the ones that nobody sees because they don't produce massive amount of uh, coffee. So I started uh, looking around for farmers that they were small enough to satisfy my, my looking, and also they were doing great environmental uh, practices and things like that. All the like stuff that, that organic exactly. people who want organic food to exactly. do. Yeah, right. Even yeah. though they are not... Uh, oh, they Not are certified exactly. organic, yes. So, yes. and I found a roaster here in Massachusetts. So I bring the, the coffee from Colombia. I roast it here. I bag it myself. I uh, sell it myself. And when they called me, I saw this an opportunity that it was a win-win situation. You know, the, the win-win situation, I don't have to pay somebody to man uh, the farmer's market and they are selling. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was a great thing that I saw. I sell at farmer's markets because the farmer's market, as I see I see them, are places where people are going to get fresh food, cut in the morning, or really uh, great stuff. Even they have to pay a buck or two more, but they know what they're going to get. So this is like it, it takes two to tango. The farmers and the, the buyers. And this is, for me, what's good is an extension of a farmer's market without mm -hmm. me having to be there. Right. Uh, and also convenience for the consumer. Exactly. Uh, that's my guest, Javier Amador Pina, and he's the founder of El Colombiano Coffee and a vendor with What's Good. So you've been, both of you, Aaron and Javier, have been working with What's Good so far. What's been aside from the fact that you don't have the overhead and you're holding your product anywhere, from the customers, what are you hearing? I'm curious about what, what they're saying. Um, mm -hmm. Predominantly, I've had mm -hmm. positive feedback, mm -hmm. thankfully. But um, I think uh, from the customer, this is, when I say revolutionary sounds hyperbolic, mm -hmm. but it really is, especially from my product, which you generally only find in high-end stores and in limited varieties, if you will, the customers are very happy to be able to get, let's say, broccoli, which is really nutrient-dense in the microgreen form. But when you shop at Whole Foods or Dave's or one of these nicer shops, you might only find rainbow mix or pea shoots. Mm -hmm. So the customers tend to be very happy about the type of variety they're getting and also very surprised at how fresh things taste and how easy it is to, like, say, give their kids, yeah. uh, make your, get your kids to eat their vegetables. Or as well, if I have amateur chefs ordering from me uh, who don't know how to... 
uh, shop from the big distributor if they want to find that rare commodity, you know. They have the ability to get something that's super unusual for me if they're doing something special uh, on their date night uh, dinner, whatever they might be cooking at home, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But, yeah, I'm, I'm having a, a very positive experience with the customer, and I think maybe we are missing the most important fact is that the customer can reach out to me. Yes, that's um, right. And yes. Directly. My, yeah, yes. My, yes. my name and phone number are mm-hmm. on the orders. Mm-hmm. So uh, the customer, if they wanted to, they can call me. And I've, I've had customers inquire also through what's good, and they contact me directly, you know, about, let's say, my packaging, which is, you know, they're like, can I return my plastic packaging? But I use sustainable packaging, like it's plant-based plastic, so I can inform them that, you know, if they're, that's a concern of theirs, then it's cool. It's mm-hmm. it's that photo on the comp card that you see sometimes in the in the supermarket, yeah. which makes you feel really good. Like I feel better buying the meat when I see the picture of the person of the farmer, even though that person is is an abstraction. I don't know who that is, and is that a real person? But it's the one step further. I'm a real person, and they can verify. And they can ask questions. Yep. And be as picky as they want to. And listen, I got friends who are so picky about coffee, Javier. So I know you must be getting a lot of response well, from you know, customers. You, to your questions, <laughs> like, you know, the best uh, thing that I see is that they order. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they keep ordering. So that is what best uh, <laughs> testimonial than that. Testament. Yeah, yeah. Yes. 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 So, yes. Exactly. But, uh, you know, uh, and one thing I, I, I want to add is one thing when they call me, uh, to invite me to participate on this. And I said to myself, why didn't I think about this before? <laughs> yeah. This is such a great idea. To me, they are an extension of my business. Yes. I see that. So. All right. Um, so back to you, Matt. Simple app. Put it on there. Put what's good on. You see the list of vendors. You pick out however many you want, and you do the work of pulling it all together. And then what? Yeah, so you can download the app in either the iOS or Android versions. And yeah, you, you shop it like you would any online store, right? You, you have We have an RI delivery market. We have a Boston delivery market. Um, RI meaning Rhode Island. Rhode Island, yes. 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 So Rhode mm-hmm. Island, we do deliveries Wednesdays and Fridays. Cutoff times are 8 p.m. the day before. So Tuesday at 8 p.m., there's a, a cutoff time for Wednesday delivery. Thursday night, it's for Friday deliveries in Rhode Island. And then in Boston, it's 8 p.m. Wednesday night for delivery on Thursday. So you can order way up until 8 p.m. Um, you shop it. You see the different producers. If you want to find out more information about that product, you click on the product basically description. You can click on the vendor's description and see more about them. And then you put your order together as you would fill a shopping cart. And you hit submit. It looks like one order. The order goes out to each independent vendor. Once they accept that order, payment actually goes straight through. So you add a credit card or debit card to your account and payment is done as soon as they accept it. We meet the vendors at a specific time and place. Uh, In Boston, we're meeting at the Fenway Community Center off of Boylston. Uh, So it's right in the Fenway area, right next to Fenway Fenway Park. Great location for us. And we uh, take every order for each consumer and pack them into insulated totes. We wrap the products that need to be refrigerated or kept cold, frozen. Uh, We wrap them in ice blankets or, or use ice packs to keep it that way. You know, dry goods and things like that, like Javier's product is simple. We will put it on the top or we have a non-insulated tote. And then we deploy delivery drivers to the greater Boston area. Uh, We do about a four, almost five mile radius around Fenway. And um, deliveries happen by 7 p.m. that night. 
Yeah. So why hadn't somebody else thought of this? Are, are you the only game in town in terms of this? <laughs> people, I, I have to imagine many people have thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how many people have tried it? There's been versions of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say a, a, a food hub is something probably most people have heard of. They've kind of occurred all over the country. Generally, it involves warehouses and trucks mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. buying and selling product. What we're actually doing and what the vendors are explaining is that it's a We've reversed the supply chain. Uh, Instead of it being speculative, even a farmer's market, it's speculation, meaning you don't know how many people are going to show up. Even Whole Foods, as much data as they have and with a a platform like Amazon behind them now, they still don't know how many people are actually going to show up when that storm happens and nobody's getting to the store. They didn't anticipate that probably last week when they bought it. Mm. And chances are there's going to be excess product because of that. We don't ever have that. We'll never have that. And the only product that's ever being moved, that's ever being put in a truck or tote or moved across town is product that was already purchased by you or me or somebody else. Mm. And while we reverse that supply chain, I think there are some that have tried. Again, usually using a warehouse model and with a lot of speculation in between. Directly connecting those vendors, I'd, I'd have to say we're pretty unique. You know, the vendors manage their own inventory. We don't maintain an inventory as what's good. Uh, the vendors out of product, they're out of product. So um, chances are you'll never order something and not be able to get it. However, we are dealing with producers who mm-hmm. have a field outside, right? And let's say a hailstorm comes through and knocks all the tomatoes off the plants. Um, you might not get your tomatoes that week. Yeah, uh, but you would know. You would know. You would know. You would so know. it's not a surprise. Yeah. So, it's not yeah. a surprise. And they don't get to my house with the delivery right. and say, oh, by the right. way, the tomatoes right. didn't come in. Right. And yeah. our vendors, <laughs> yeah. they'll message yeah. the consumer directly yeah. and say, hey, look, this happened. And mm-hmm. we've watched it happen. They'll offer um, alternative products. So you're not just going to get some autonomous swapping that you're like, hey, ground beef is not the same as a steak or or something like that. Or, you know, zucchini is not the same as a mushroom. So you know, really, it's a matter of still maintaining that close relationship with the food producer. And I, I think I've got to look back to, like, Michael Pollan's quote of, you know, you should Author try to and renounce. Kind of a, a focus on food right. and, and, and climate and health and environment. Right. Yes, he would yeah. be considered one of the godfathers of the local food mm-hmm. movement or, you know, one of one of the founding people that really started to educate customers at a time when I think customers really wanted to know more about food. And he wrote some some great things. And one of the things he said was, you know, you should shake the hand uh, that grew your food. And I think that's great. I, I, I love what farmer's markets do. We're not trying to dissolve the farmer's market or undermine it in any way. Uh, this is for the group that is not going to the farmer's market. And I think as, as much as you know, a farmer's market serves the needs – they are costly. They're time consuming. And it's a it's something you have to divide added revenue by, meaning the number of farmers markets you go to is an added cost that you need to divide that revenue by. And for the farmer, it can basically eliminate the value that you ultimately get at the end of the day. And what our technology does do is it is it it applies to the group of consumers that can't make it to that farmer's market. Or are not interested. Or are not but, interested but in going like to the farmer's market. they would like to have the food they'd like to have. Correct. Yes, and they're, yeah. they're, they're educated enough to know that there's better food out there than what they can pick off the shelves at Whole Foods or, or Stop and Shop or Walmart, for that matter. Um, and then I think the other factor here is that there's an enormous amount of say for the big producers 
and for big food. And what I mean is if you look at regulations, if you look at our government agencies and protective mm-hmm. agencies that govern how and what food can have on its label, uh, what it can say, organic for that matter, we're looking at 60% of organic food is not grown in the U.S., yeah. right? Like yeah. That is a statistic that I think a lot of consumers don't fully understand right now. And when we look at that, what's important to understand is that there are things being done on the other side that the small producers, the farmer's yeah. market vendors are kind of, you know, put between they're in a more difficult situation because of them. Uh, you look at something like the country of origin labeling act. Uh, it was actually repealed in 2016. What that did what is it, it protected the consumer and the buyer in making sure that the product you were getting was as advertised. It basically prevented something in, let's say, China, beef, for instance, from being labeled in the grocery store as a U.S. product. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty straightforward. Sounds like it makes a lot of sense. For whatever reason, our president repealed that wow. act in 2016, which basically makes it so that you can go into a grocery store, you can pick up a pound of ground beef, and you can look at it, and it can say product of the U.S., and it's not. And it may it, not be. That, yes. that well, it, that cow, it's 70% chance yeah. that that cow never took a breath of U.S. air, never ate a blade of U.S. grass, and never had life in the U.S., mm-hmm. but it was processed here. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and here with me is Matt Totoro, co-founder of What's Good. You just heard him, an online marketplace, an app that allows consumers to order fresh and locally produced food to their front doors, as well as two of his local vendors, Javier Amador Pina, founder of El Colombiano Coffee, and Aaron Damas, co-founder of Sprout Organic Farms. So there's a lot of regulation, bureaucracy that puts a distance between food producers and consumers. And as you said at the beginning of this conversation, actually all of you, the farm-to-table movement has really made people more conscious about who produces the food and where the food comes from. And this is an opportunity for them to have a more direct access to both food producers and knowing where the food comes from. And as Javier says, it's a win-win situation because the farmers know exactly how much they need to put forward in the What's Good marketplace to serve uh, the consumers as they have ordered. So a silly question, but one that everyone wants to know. What's good? Is that just like, hey, what's good? Where did that come from? The name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's a good question, I guess. You know, I mean, I... It was the most common thing I heard in any kitchen I was ever in. Okay. And, very good. Like, you know, hey, what's good? Yeah. yeah, yeah you know, people it. would walk yeah. in, they'd, they'd ask the server, what's yeah. good tonight? Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the kitchen, we would ask each other, like, it just, it, it, it seemed to convey to me what's the most fresh, special thing you got going on in terms of food. So, all right. Um, I do also want to take the time to make the differentiation between uh, CSAs, uh, Community Support Agriculture, because I'm sure people are listening saying, well, why isn't this this like a CSA? So who wants to explain that to me, Aaron? Well, I think uh, one important difference uh, is that uh, in a CSA, and I'm not sure that I can speak for 100% of CSAs, but uh, generally the, the customer signs up for whatever might be fresher uh, or whatever is uh, what's good mm-hmm. that week yeah. or whatever, you know. But like you were saying before, you know, you have what you you like what you like or if you're making 
uh, an omelet and you want cilantro for your omelet and you don't want fennel, you may not get fen- uh, cilantro that mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. The difference in what's good is you can you can choose what you like. Mm-hmm. You also don't have to commit a certain amount of money to that box of items that you know may yeah, or may you not want exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you can buy individually and you can get exactly what you want in the quantity that you'd like to have it. We say a la carte. A la carte. Yeah. 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 And, okay. and right. CSA for, for everybody is uh, community supported agriculture. Right. Uh, you basically gain a share of production that a farm produces, but your products are more or less autonomously chosen. Some customers it works very well for, and there are versions of that that we we do have on what's good. Wardsbury would be a good example in Sharon, Massachusetts, who does a farmer's choice box of just mm. fresh vegetables. Some consumers really like that. You know, mm. I mean, I you ever whoever watched watches chop yeah and, exactly you know, just you gotta, wants to kind of wing deal it with what's in the box I, yeah i'm down for that you know <laughs> yeah. i mean but some but people you're a are chef like too, yeah out. exactly you know <laughs> some people are like uh oh, you know three pounds of kohlrabi what am i gonna do <laughs> yeah. this you know yeah. and like i enjoy that challenge but as a consumer yeah. i like that too sometimes i go mm-hmm. into the restaurant and they say well, what would you like and i'm like just give me what your favorite yeah. thing is yeah. well yeah. What, what do you like you know it's something different and new right but that said aside from the, this kind of the, the subscription aspect of the csa mm-hmm. uh, what's good also has a subscription uh facet mm-hmm. and i don't know how much more you've been developing yeah it recently. We, we started testing something called what's good weekly mm-hmm. uh about a about a month ago um which really allows you to add products to a, a reoccurring basis mm-hmm. so maybe you add microgreens you're going to need a, a container of microgreens or a dozen eggs or a half a gallon of mm-hmm. milk or a side of bacon whatever it is mm-hmm. um there are certain products that the farmers do almost always have in stock and have a fairly consistent supply. And so we've set up this model, again, for consumers who may or may not Mm -hmm. have the ability to go on every week and and even go take that time to place that order as easy as we make it. They just want a set, a certain amount of products on reoccurring. So we just started testing that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Javier, do you think this is the way of the future? Like once this is established and people really understand how this works, there's no going back? I I, I think, you know, once the, the, the consumer gets to know the product Mm -hmm. and uh, the provider in this case uh, what's good is good at it I think it is because you know nowadays people are busy Mm -hmm. like you know uh, I I have uh, two farmers markets one on Thursdays and one on Friday uh, Saturdays and Thursday is (laughs) and Saturday you know is really crowded but now in the summertime people they're not going to go to the market. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to go to the beach. Mm-hmm. So this is this works for them, you know. And, and I think when people are, that, that was one important thing that you say, and this is, and I have to uh, say, I have I'm a witness of that. People want to know where the food is coming from. And it doesn't matter how much it costs, mm. but they know. And the closer to them, the better for for them, you know. They want to know my coffee's roasted here, and uh, you know, or my lettuce is next door, and that is an added value. I think that Javier makes an important point that some people will pay no matter how much it costs. But in general, I would assume this is a little bit more expensive than the Whole Foods, which is. As we know, whole paycheck. So tell me, <laughs> where where are Holding you on the, on the financial? It all depends on the. It <laughs> yeah. all depends on the on the particular product, to be honest, and also the time of year, right? Tomato season is upon us right now. Tomatoes are going to drop to a price that are way cheaper than what you buy in the grocery store. 
alternatively you go to the winter time or you know you have a couple of producers who produce a small amount of let's say greenhouse tomatoes that price is probably going to be higher coming from the local producer that's true for almost all types of products in general we're not much more expensive like in the 10 percent range um, from a typical grocery shopping not even just whole foods um, across the board there's a pretty even keel alignment however you know you might look at proteins specifically as being a much higher price mm. um eggs for instance your average dozen eggs from a producer will be somewhere around six dollars a dozen on our platform you can go to whole foods and you can go to walmart and you can pick up a dozen eggs for a dollar 99 what i often you know to me it I know why the small producer has to charge six dollars a right. dozen. They have a certain amount of chickens. They produce a certain amount of eggs, and uh, it costs them time and money to wash them, to prepare them, to have them in the box, in in the container, in the carton, and their volume requires them to charge six dollars a dozen. But those chickens are they are producing the best quality protein, you know, and the best quality eggs that you will eat. And it's going to be fresh mm -hmm. and it's probably going to be an entire month sooner than what you get in Walmart. And I think that that's, you know, that's a big aspect is that when you look at, let's say the organic free range chicken eggs in Whole Foods, you're going to pay five or six dollars. Oh, a dozen. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and the blue people, eggs, too. <laughs> what people yeah. are willing to pay right. the extra. extra so it really depends on your choice, which is the whole point of this. Exactly. Right, yes. and you exactly. got to compare eggs to eggs and yes. apples to apples. <laughs> exactly, yeah. and maybe you maybe you are willing to pay six dollars for the eggs, but you do something different on some other parts of what you offer. You know what I'm saying? So you yes. make a you make a decision about that. Well, um, tech really makes this possible, Matt. Right. Um, is, are there any other tech tweaks that you're planning to do for what's good at this point? Yeah, I mean we have a <laughs> we have a two year roadmap, so okay. I'll just say that. I okay. mean we're we're constantly looking at evolving things. Uh, one big thing is that we evolved what's good entirely on a mobile platform for the consumer. Um, in a couple of weeks, we'll be releasing a web-based. Um, this is actually not so much for... Mo almost all consumers now are, are spending their time on the internet, primarily on mobile devices. When I say almost all, I mean like 80%. Yes, that's true. Um, <laughs> when I'm looking at uh, at the web, and, and I'm talking access via a laptop or desktop computer, if anybody remembers what those are, um, <laughs> those are uh, really a primary function with our uh, a new initiative that we've launched called What's Good at Work. Mm. Um, what we do is we partner with corporate entities and community organizations um, that are looking at, at how they can offer added benefits, how they can impact their local community, and how they can provide a healthy workplace for their employees. Um, we set up a model that basically delivers that product to the employees at a given location as they're leaving work. So okay. you could order right. each okay. week and then it shows up in your lobby of your, you know, your office. You pick it up and go home uh, at four o'clock in the afternoon. So definitely, definitely a tech tweak. Yeah. Well, um, as I said at the beginning of this, this is all very interesting and exciting, and I think a lot of people will be very interesting in exploring it. And um, um, as Javier said, why didn't I think of this? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all for joining thank you. me today. Thank you so much thank for you having me. Thank you, thank you. Matt Tatora is a former chef and co-founder of What's Good, a new online marketplace that allows consumers to order directly from local producers. Javier Amador Pina is the founder of El Colombiano Coffee and a vendor with What's Good. And Aaron Damas is a co-founder of Sprout Organic Farms and a vendor with What's Good. 
Coming up, the publishers of Chop Chop Family, a Belmont, Massachusetts-based cooking magazine for kids, noticed an interesting trend in their reader feedback. Grandparents saying they loved learning recipes and tips with their grandkids and wished a similar publication existed for their age group. Now, Seasoned, the inspired cooking magazine for adults, is hitting the presses. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyap. That's Creole for something extra. 10,000 Americans turn 65 every day, a number expected to double by 2030. Many entering this third chapter of life are embracing a host of new do-for-yourself experiences, like learning how to cook. Interseasoned, a new cooking magazine for adults over 60, the latest publication from the Belmont, Massachusetts-based publisher Chop Chop Family. Offering a mix of recipes ranging in skill level from beginner to lifelong cook as well as pro cooking tips, Seasoned aims to inspire older adults to take ownership of their health and happiness through home-cooked meals. Here to tell us more about Season, John Doc Willoughby, editor of Season. Doc has written about food for three decades as a cookbook author, executive editor for Cooks Illustrated and Gourmet Magazine, and editorial director for America's Test Kitchen. Welcome, Doc. Thank you. Also with me, Sally Sampson, founder and president of Chop Chop Family and Readable Feast 2019 Literary and Culinary Achievement Literary Alliant Award honoree. Hello, Sally. Hi, nice to see you. And congratulations Thank on that you. latest award. That's Thank really quite you. something. So tell me what motivated you to start Season Magazine? Um, we got phone calls all the time from grandparents who had subscribed to Chop Chop for their children, for their grandchildren, and kept saying, I send my, ch my grandkid home and I keep the magazine, but can you do one for us? And we just kept getting more and more requests. So we finally decided to do it. And to be clear, the Chop Chop magazine is for kids, and it inspires kids to cook for themselves, but also to cook with other people. And appropriately, it's for families so that everybody can engage exactly. in the cooking experience. Um, so as you pondered, all right, well, I think I might do that. Um, what were the driving factors that you wanted to make sure were a part of this new publication? I mean, to be honest, seasoned in many ways is like chop chop for grownups. Mm -hmm. So we, the recipes in seasoned are relatively simple. Therefore, um, adults who either are new to cooking, who have a change in circumstance, like they are were cooking for six or for four, and they're now took cooking for two. Basically, a change in circumstance. We also have um, things in there like brain teasers. We have equipment that is particularly good for potentially arthritic hands, things like that. So um, you're seven issues in now. Uh, is that about right? Right. Yeah. About seven issue issues. eight comes out in about two weeks. Okay. Um, but I want you to explain that this is part of a nonprofit effort. So it's not uh, as Chop Chop uh, is 
the magazine for kids. It's part of this nonprofit. Ever is not your typical subscription magazine, though you can subscribe. Right. <laughs> yeah. So Chop Chop Family. We were originally called Chop Chop Kids, and now we're called Chop Chop Family because now we're not just focused on kids. So Chop Chop Family is a nonprofit that. Um, publishes three magazines, Chop Chop, another one called Sprout, that's for WIC recipients, and then this one. Um, We do have subscriptions, but we're primarily sold in bulk to organizations. So we're into SNAP and WIC offices, we're at doctor's offices, we're at senior centers. Originally, we were wherever you could find children, and now we've expanded it. So we're in senior centers, but because... Seniors are not as easy to find mm-hmm. in a funny way as kids. We're expanding our subscriptions quite a bit. Oh, okay. That's good. So Sally, um, Doc, as you've pointed out, uh, has written 29 cookbooks. But you yourself are quite um, the food expert as well. You have such a rich background in um, certainly magazine, food magazines. And Sally says that when bringing you on as editor made the publication more adult uh, I, <laughs> and, and, and so I want to know what 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 did she mean by that how what did you bring to it when you first saw it because you didn't start out with it you just you came on um, somewhat recently right yeah. I, I think it, that season was a great magazine from the beginning but it did have a sort of um, uh, younger consciousness because all the people working on it had been working on chop chop for many years so some of the things were really geared towards kids, like giving a list of all the equipment that you'd need to cook each recipe and making sure that you were careful when you were handling knives and things like that that really aren't that necessary for adults. Uh, and I also wanted to make some recipes. I want to have one or two recipes in every issue that only takes 10 minutes or less to make. And then we have a new column we started when I came on called Learning from Experts, where mm-hmm. we have sort of big deal people from the food world give us a recipe and talk to us about how they develop the recipe and what people can learn from making the recipe. So that's that would be above the heads of kids, but it's easy for adults to understand. We still have super simple recipes, not a whole lot of text, uh, a lot of photographs and step-by-step mm-hmm. illustrations. So it's similar in its in its goals, but it's geared toward adults. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, one of the copies. This is issue six. It says, yes, you can make this, chicken with red onions and oranges, and it's a beautiful picture on it. And I went right to it, I have to say, uh, in the magazine, and I thought to myself, I can make this. Absolutely. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously it works. <laughs> That's the idea. <laughs> well, when we started, I said the cover lines are going to be the same for the first ten issues. It's going to be, you can make this, okay. because that's what we want to get across. That, you know, it really is not hard to make the food in these magazines. And if you've never cooked before or you cook very little, you and if you watch, particularly if you watch TV, food TV, you think it's super complicated and, and, and difficult, but it really is not. And so we want people to start cooking at a, at a lower level. But also, cooking is fun. And if you are retired now, you've got time. So you have time to learn how to cook. And if you cook, it's good for you because it's more healthy and it's also fun. And you're learning a new skill, which is good to do when you're older. But also you can start cooking with your friends or your family or for them. And so it's a social opportunity as well. So that's sort of that's kind of what we're looking to, to accomplish. So when Sally started uh, Chop Chop now, Chop Chop Family, um, one of the issues was obesity with regard to kids. So I think when you start talking about seniors and 
food. It's nutrition uh, because uh, there's all kinds of dietary changes that may have happened. And so I imagine you have to pay attention to that. And how are you doing that with this publication? Well, we look at the Mm -hmm. guidelines. There are, you know, Mm -hmm. health guidelines for cooking for for older people, and we follow those in all our recipes. Well, maybe one per issue we don't follow, (laughs) usually from the expert. (laughs) But uh, and we are in our next issue, we're going to start coding all the recipes, Mm -hmm. so you can look at it and say if I have hypertension or diabetes or any of the sort of long-term diseases that are more common amongst elderly people, you'll see this is a recipe that's good for me. Mm-hmm. And we're assuming that almost every recipe will have all those, almost all those codes on it. But, you know, we want to make it easier for people to just look and quickly see this is a recipe for me. So what do you, well, how do you think that uh, season fits into the marketplace of there are so many, <laughs> you know, cooking magazines or, or magazines that have uh, many articles about food and recipes, if you just take a glance at any magazine stand, or for that matter, online. Uh, Doc, you want to answer that? Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I should say you're my guest, Doc, uh, John Doc Willoughby, editor of Season Magazine, which is for adults over 60. Mm-hmm. I think it is, to my knowledge, the only cooking magazine specifically aimed at people over 50. Mm-hmm. So in addition to cooking, as Sally mentioned earlier, we've got other things. We have, you know, puzzles and crossword puzzles and exercises, balance exercises. Uh, and we have, you know, we have more, it's more aimed at people who need to watch how they eat. Then I think there are other health food or healthful magazines out there, but none of them that are specifically addressed at elderly people. Also, it's free. Mm. So, oh, well, which is that's, huge. yeah, that is that is. <laughs> let's get to the lead, John. <laughs> so it's free. Yeah. How how would one find uh, the magazine? I know you're making an effort to try to make it more um, easily accessible. How do right. You find well, it? if you subscribe, it's not free. So right. You have yeah. to buy a subscription. Right. But if you go to elderly centers mm-hmm. or like in New York, there are Sage offices, which is a crazy acronym: Senior Action in a Gay Environment. So mm-hmm. it's for elderly gay people there, mm-hmm. and all those offices. We're trying to. Expand it to anywhere that a number of seniors are. Libraries we're looking to get into. And mm-hmm. all of those places, the magazine will be free. Okay. Um, what's been the response, Sally? We've gotten a great response, mm-hmm. really great response. I mean, again, we started uh, seasoned without subscriptions. We mm-hmm. just thought, oh, we'll just do bulk. But we, the phone was literally ringing off the hook. So we have just recently started subscriptions. And... Um, those are building all the time. You know, of course, every now and then somebody says the recipes are too simple. Mm. But then that's balanced by the person that says the recipes are too complicated. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of perfect. Who cares if, by the way, let me just go back to that. Who cares if the recipes are too too simple? I mean, well, isn't the we point don't. to just... No, no, but I'm just, I'm just curious about why that would be a down thing. I mean, uh, That's a good point. I think (laughs) people who are sort of more experienced or hobby cooks, they don't find it challenging enough because they like recipes to be challenging. But I I'm with you. I don't think a recipe can be yeah. too simple. If <laughs> We're trying to get food on the table. If it's delicious yeah. and healthy, how, yeah. how right. bad okay. is it to be simple? I right. mean, the goal for us is that the number one thing is it has to taste good. So mm-hmm. we're never just going for health. As the first thing, mm-hmm. we go for taste. So if it's healthy and it doesn't taste good, you're not going to find it in any of our magazines. Mm-hmm. So everything really does taste good. We test everything. We have plenty of testers. We, you know, we have photo shoots and we test it again. And it has to taste good. So mostly people seem to be really happy. One of the things that Doc did add when he came in was a recipe that is a little bit more of a challenge. Mm-hmm. And we want 
people to be a little pushed. And you don't have to make that recipe if you don't want. But we really, I mean, he also instituted micro, like, explain. So my Mm. sister, who is in her late 70s, Mm. I went to visit her recently after I'd started working on Seasoned, and she cooks with the microwave all the time. And Mm. I think a lot of people do. It's just not been my experience, but I'm like, all right, if people are cooking with the microwave, we need to give them good recipes for the microwave, and those are the ones that are under 10 minutes. Yeah. And so we did, uh, the first one we did was a uh, coffee mug souffle, mm. is, yeah, mm. and it's actually really good, mm-hmm. and it's really easy. And I got a picture, <laughs> a friend of mine sent me a picture that he and his partner had gone to a play, and they always have dinner afterwards, make dinner for themselves, and this is a picture of <laughs> a table set with candles, champagne, and the the coffee mug souffle <laughs> oh, that's because good. they could make it in five minutes at ten o'clock. So yeah. that's what we're looking for: something that's really good but really fast. And then there's the one that's a little bit more of a push, and I think that's really great to have both ends. And the fact of the matter is, the one that's the push is also very easy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm Callie Crossley, and you're listening to Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. My guests are John Doc Willoughby and Sally Sampson. We're discussing Seasoned, a new cooking magazine from Chop Chop Family for adults over 60. Now, when you usually have conferences, when you, typically when I have conversations about seniors and eating and food, it's really about food insecurity, mostly, and or a lack of nutrition for um, low-income seniors who can't seem to get the, the, the food or live in food deserts or can't get foods that would help them have a nutritious, simple meal. Um, and I check with elder services in, uh, in uh, Massachusetts. It turns out that the meals that they serve to seniors are very much appreciated by those who receive them, and they, they feel, those folks who are receiving them, that uh, overwhelmingly they are, get, they are getting nutritious meals and that they're helping to uh, sustain, sustain their health. So that's, you know, a good thing. But I was wondering, um, as I've seen other food experts work with food pantries, where some seniors who are food insecure end up, if this is something that maybe Seasoned might expand to in working with pantries and helping people uh, develop recipes or cooking classes, because now pantries offer that. We actually do work with food pantries and food banks, and a lot of the magazines are distributed through Senior SnapEd, Mm -hmm. but we have a new column coming up that is... I don't know what the exact title is, but it's like open a can of beans. I yeah, think we're okay. calling the column open a can. So okay. it's, oh. it's all pantry ingredients, either frozen or canned, that you're very likely to have that you can, you know, a lot of people have trouble getting to a grocery store. So when yeah. they go, they have to buy a lot of stuff, and so a lot of it's canned and frozen. So we're looking for interesting, simple, delicious recipes that start from frozen and canned ingredients stuff that you've already got at home uh, because we found we had a meeting with a group of people from senior centers and mm. they said this is a big problem for mm-hmm. our people so we're trying to address that in this way and like chop chop seasoned is low cost ingredients um, available at most supermarkets so we don't ever have anything esoteric or expensive so the idea of all of our magazines is that it's easy to find and then create our recipes mm-hmm. um, so this seems like a Good partnership for you know, not only food pantries but you know possibly even you know elder services on a wider on a wider spectrum because anytime you have very simple recipes and that you can maximize as as John has said um, anything that you have in your pantry you're in good good stead. So I'm wondering also um, if 
you even though your recipes are simple and even though you're not using esoteric seasonings or 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 kind of expansive recipes except maybe for one in the magazine if you have more breath now because americans overall have a different food palette um we've learned to appreciate many ethnic foods and they're now just a part of you know how we eat it's not so exotic anymore as it might have been a couple decades ago so docker you find you have more flexibility because you can go ethnic um absolutely mm-hmm. and wh- one of the things we try to do is have in each issue at least two i don't i, I don't know what the right word is mm-hmm. because ethnic is not a great word for, yeah. for what they are but like a latin american recipe mm-hmm. or from brazil or from you know eastern europe because we want people to look at the magazine and remember that they had these recipes growing up and they may not know how to make them, but here mm. they are. Oh. And so that you know is easy to do now because yeah. you can go to most supermarkets and get the ingredients that, I, when I was growing up in Iowa, the olive oil was in the medicinal <laughs> compartment. So oh, you know, yeah, things yeah. have totally changed yeah. and particularly in the last 20 years. So we don't use exotic ingredients, mm-hmm. but you can get a lot of things now. Mm-hmm. In, I, a, in a neighborhood grocery store, so it's great. What do you, how do you feel about that, Sally? Oh, completely yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really. I mean, I think I think I find that. And what about farmers markets? Are you all partnering with any of them? And you know, all our magazines are just. Well, maybe mm-hmm. not. No, I think all of our magazines mm-hmm. are distributed at farmers markets. It's a really important, particularly because if you are low income and you have mm-hmm. some form of double bucks or any of those, and you the, you can now use them at farmers markets. So while we have a focus on open a can, open a frozen this, we're obviously very focused on fresh food. So Seasoned is beautifully uh, done in a print publication. Do you have an online component of this, or are you working toward that? You're both smiling. <laughs> what does that mean? We're, we're really old school. <laughs> okay, okay. We, well, we, we, let's say we recognize the importance of it. <laughs> but it was not our first instinct, but we're working on it. But, and yet, for Chop Chop... We don't. And we're almost 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And when we did digitize the magazine, we spent more money digitizing it than people. There was no interest in it. Mm, Interesting. And so who knows? I think that they're, to me, paper's coming back. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, I don't think it ever left. Right. That's true. In some arenas, it never left. And certainly people like to see, you know, beautiful pictures. But there are many very... um, popular uh, online food magazines or food sites, I would say. They're not even magazines. And then something like an Epicurious allows you to put in, I have a can of beans and I have a can of, and then what can I make with this? So I could see, because your recipes are so easily done, that would be, you know, a great reference point for some people. Just, you know, put in what you got and we're going to refer you to one of our recipes and pop it up. That would be awesome. We're only yeah. on issue seven, so uh, <laughs> well, we need we'll to build up a bigger repertoire of recipes, but okay. uh, we're, we're, we're getting there. Okay. So my next question is about national distribution. Uh, is that on the game plan? Because the great thing, I love talking to Sally and now you, Doc, because this is a locally based publication, and I think it's fabulous that uh, this comes out of uh, the Boston area. But is there any plan to run? We're already. Okay. Yeah. So we're in every state. And um, so we are national. Chop Chop is in every state and 24 countries. I don't know if uh, Seasoned is in any other countries yet. But it's but but you're going there. You're we're hoping. headed there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So I can tell other people to keep a lookout for it. Absolutely. But, but now if you want to, re- if you want to find it. Elder serves elder centers and where else? Just so that I can just reiterate that for people. 
physically, and then where else might you get it? Farmers markets, you'd say. Farmers markets. I mean, it's not consistent. It's not like you could go to every senior center and find it. But, but, but somebody could go to a farmer's market and say, would you get it? Absolutely. Exactly. Or a senior too. center or a library. Yeah. And just right. say, yeah. get in touch with them and they will send you free copies. Right. right. So we yeah. encourage people to do that because we want, you know, we have the magazines. We want them out there. Okay? Right. And, of course, you can subscribe. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. So they can just, you know, find you through that way. Um, are you experiencing the vegetarian trend? I ask this because um, when I watch all my cooking shows, um, there's a big movement. And also in restaurants, and the high-end ones are certainly setting the trend where they're all vegetarian meals uh, at places that you would never have thought that to be. Or there are vegetarian-forward menus happening. Wondering if you're um, thinking of more emphasis in that way. I would say t- at least half the recipes are vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Just anyway. Mm-hmm. Just because not, that's, not with that's an a healthy intention. way to eat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And we like right. them. And, right. you know, we have one fish recipe and one chicken recipe, and that's enough. But you, if we have 14 or 15 recipes, you can have 12 different vegetarian recipes, and they're interesting and different. Mm-hmm. So we actually have just tended that way. We very right. rarely use red meat and, right. you know, sometimes, but not much. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, on The Kitchen, which is one of my favorite uh, cooking shows on the Food Network, they always say that their most popular recipes are chicken. Are you seeing that? <laughs> no matter what they do, well, it's they'll on end the, up. I see it's it on, on this the cover. cover. <laughs> well, yeah, but on the other cover, you got some pancakes that That's look right. pretty good. I got to right. tell you. <laughs> but we do actually a lot of chicken because it's relatively inexpensive yeah. and people like it, and it's easy to cook. And it's not particularly if you're using white meat, but even mm. if you're using the good thighs, uh, it's good for you. So yeah. it's it's easy that way. Well, I have to say that, um, you know, I, I've been a big fan of, I was a big fan of Chop Chop, still am, Chop Chop family. And this just makes so much sense to me. So I'm delighted to, you know, bring this to listeners so that they know that this, this resource is available to them. And it looks beautiful. So the fact that you are print forward, as we say, uh, <laughs> you've made it look really good. It's so delicious. You could just eat off the page. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm very excited for, for both of you. And I, I thank you for joining me. Thanks thank for having so us. <laughs> Um, D- John Doc Willoughby is the editor of Season Magazine. Sally Sampson is the founder and president of Chop Chop Family and Readable Feast 2019 Literary and Culinary Achievement Literary Lion Award honoree. That's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show, links to stories we discussed today, and bonus content on the web at wgbh.org news. Listen to our show on the WGBH app and take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Callie Crossley and like us at Facebook.com slash Under the Radar WGBH. Our engineer is Doug Sugarts. Francisca Monahan is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH.